1: Hello and welcome to Nothing Concrete, the Barbican's podcast. I'm Chris Gunnis, and this is The Art of Change, a series featuring artists who are passionate about changing the world. Today the last in a four-part series featuring Stephen Fry, writer, actor, comedian and campaigner. Last time Stephen talked about his public advocacy, Taking on homophobes in Russia, Africa, and Brazil, as well as flying the flag for men being honest about prostate cancer. Next, I asked about his own identity and the background to his attempts to change society. I'm Jewish.
0: My mother's uh, still alive, and uh, and and she, you know, knew very well some of her family who who didn't make it uh, out of Europe. <coughs> she she comes from a family who's half. Uh, Half, half in Austria and half in Hungary. What it was, Hungary is now, in fact, Slovakia. And um, fortunately, my grandparents, her parents came over to England, but their brothers and sisters and their, their cousins and mm. so many who didn't make it to Israel, or the United States, or to London and, and to, to Britain uh, perished in the death camps. And the foundation of Israel was of fundamental importance to, to, to that to that part of my family. And, and I find I have to be very careful in not suggesting that I am encouraging those who seem to question the very validity of Israel as a state. And there is a a problem with this, this ability to criticize Israel's monstrous policy within the country uh, of, of, of establishing settlements that are just... You know, deeply wrong and uh, and against what what the world has tried to express as the most likely shape for a possible two-state solution, and the Palestinian people who have been treated as worse than second-class citizens in so many cases. Um, there's a division in in trying to criticise that Israel and lending a voice to groups of people who, who also seem to use some of the anti-Semitic language of uh, globalisation and those bankers and you know Jews have always been guilty both of, of creating capitalism with their banks and their Rothschilds and George Soros's and all the others that people uh, use um, and for creating communism and socialism <laughs> in case of Marx and Trotsky and everything else so you know we, we really are guilty and we broke up the, the certainty of the world with Freud and Einstein you know everything jews do is ba- basically you know can be mocked and uh, uh, and uh, and excoriated um and there's always been this kind of ontological problem with what is a Jew? And, you know, David ben Gurion, the, the founder of the State of Israel, the first, you know, the, the, the first leader of the country, uh, when, when asked, are you, a, are you a religion or are you a race? What are you? I mean, there's Judaism and is that, is that what makes a Jew? Or can, uh, is it? And he gave a typically Jewish and rather rabbinical answer. We are neither a race nor a religion. We are a people. <laughs> <laughs> go, go figure. But, but that's kind of true yeah. because you yeah. know an atheist like me is, is, would yeah. as much be pushed into the death camps by by the Nazis as a, as a rabbi would. Mm. And, you know they didn't care whether one. So in that sense, we're a race. If it, you know, if, if 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 the Jewish heritage of scholarship and art and science and uh, thinking and, uh, and the, the primacy of the mind uh, can't be brought to bear on solving the problem of Israel, it would be a terrible thing. Yeah. And so, it is important for us Jews, I think, to have a uh, uh, who are not Israelis who are voting in Israel about Israel, but those who are part of the diaspora around mm. the world have, have a say in in, in it. But Yes, my mother's still alive, and I don't want to uh, make her think that I'm siding with people who who, who would uh, who would try and destroy the, the, the Israel. And, and of course, I know what I would suggest that all those uh, critics of Israel are anti-Semitic and are determined to push Israel out. But uh, I, you know, it, it's not helped by the fact that two. Deeply corrupt leaders of, of of the most important countries, when it comes to the solution, uh, are, are so clearly uh, regard Palestine as as children who may or may not be given a few crumbs off the table. And Can I
1: just is... ask to whom you were referring?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Bibi Netanyahu
1: and Mr. Trump. Okay. See, I asked you a question: um, How strategic are you in this? When you approached the gay issue, hmm. when you approached the issue of bipolarity? it seemed to be such a natural form of advocacy mm. you simply talked about yourself and that instantly destigmatized but were you strategic in the way you tried to destigmatize and try to
0: make others understand i'm always strategic in the sense or at least tactical the strategy is to hope that everybody understands but the tactics the the means of getting there i i do i mean i'm i'm not in advertising or pr but i sometimes find myself thinking like someone in advertising and pr and and i do care about how how a uh, 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 a plea, a claim, uh, a narrative will fall on the ears of those for whom the story is new. And um, as I say, b- you know, bullying, hectoring, uh, preaching, sermonising is something I try not to do. It's very easy, accidentally, to sound like that. We all know how you know, love is, can can sound entitled and uh, pleased with themselves and up themselves and all the rest of it. And so I I try to think how. An enemy of the cause, or someone cynical or sceptical, would respond and try to, you know. So, and of course, a lot of people hear that and say, "Oh, that seems always try to please everybody." <laughs> and, and I, and I know that that is a deep fault in me, but, but I do, you know. I do try and be practical. I want to meet reach as many ears as possible and in the jargon, give people permission to support whatever cause it mm-hmm. is. Uh, and the easy way to give people permission is is not to make them feel guilty. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that's always a mistake in charitable or any kind of cause. Uh, um, advocacy is, is, is trying to wake up guilt in people. I, I think guilt usually leads to, to aggression and closing down and, uh, and, and crossness, um, you, you know, you really have to try, as I say, to to allow people to realise that they're in a position to help, mm. and it may not be with by giving huge sums of money, but maybe a small amount of time, and in these days, it could just be by retweeting or, or helping in some other way. And and I think that is mm. that is definitely the answer.
1: The th- name of this podcast is the Art of Change, and I want to ask you about that. Um, you have used comedy to change things um, mm. very impressively. Do you think that art can also be used to change things?
0: It's, a, it's a, a, an interesting question. We m- mentioned earlier Shelley t- describing poets as the unacknowledged legislators of the world, and this idea that has existed that the highest doctrine of art as something that changes uh, has always appealed as a question, and I'm sure it's given in you know university exam questions. You know which. Which changes the world first, uh, science, philosophy, art, Mm. politics, history, you know, war, disease, you know, they're all, you can approach the way our species has changed and grown, um, uh, you can take a big issue like racism and you can say, is it? Larry Ellison and the Invisible Man novels like that about racism. Is it Maya Angelou? Is it early poets? Is it Harriet Beecher Stowe? The more kind, you know, the white patriarchal kind of view of we mustn't enslave these nice people that we've treated so badly. Is it a mixture of those things? Is it people on the stump in the hustings? Is it a philosopher who suddenly allows you to think of humanity in a different way? It's it's hard to say. That you know you can look at particular moments and and Beethoven's a perfect example straddling as he does these two periods of the end of as it were the age of reason and the opening of the Enlightenment and Romanticism Um, uh, you can say yes there's no question that in once energies like uh, Beethoven were released in the world uh, who spoke to ordinary people not just to princes um, art began to be a force that changed. And then if you look at the beginning of the 20th century, was it Einstein showing the extraordinary difference in the nature of reality to what we'd assumed, uh, the fractured nature of anything we believed stable, uh, or was it Freud's doing that to the human mind? Um... Uh, showing that we weren't even in charge of ourselves. We had another self underneath us, <laughs> like a god, only our own underneath us that was directing and commanding us. Or was it those early artists, the, the modernists, who who suddenly, like Picasso, were painting images that were different to Stravinsky and, uh, you know, Mahler sort of writing music, and, you know, the end of uh, Tristan, suddenly tonality and order and everything broke up. Now, did that come from... A philosopher like Henri Bergson who then influenced Proust and Joyce and the modernists or was it that the modernists influenced the politicians it's so hard to say Mm. there seems to be there seem to be times when balls of of energetic thinking and rethinking and breaking down and you know which is what analysis is and and then synthesizing new forces to make new statements and 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 new thoughts about us and then after the war the way the way young people and music and everything suddenly transformed the way everybody behaved and dressed and looked and talked to each other these things happen and art is always if it's not the if it's not the the lead horse in that's pulling this extraordinary um, Carriage along—it's—it's—it's—it's one of them, and it's always involved in this movement. And for you,
1: is there one art form—forget politics and philosophy, disease, etc.—is there one art form you think which is most potent an agent of social change than any other?
0: That's really interesting, Um, because I think in the past, you—you could say it was poetry. Yeah, hard to believe, but but I think it's wow. true. Um, uh, I think poetry really did have an extraordinary. Well, certainly, in our culture. I mean, obviously, this can't be true all over the world. How um, long ago was that, incidentally? Well, I think it was around the time between lyrical ballads in the at the end of the eighteenth uh, century uh, and then the rise of the romantics, through to uh, Browning and and characters like that, and then with the modernists as well. They they, they I think really did. Change people's minds about things. They did what, you know, what what Elvis and the Beatles did for for, for, for others. They 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 broke the mold of, of of social norms and made people think in in new ways and new patterns. And they reinvented the the, the way of way of thinking. And, and um, uh, and it's top down. I mean, yeah. it's like. Formula One, we, none of us is going to drive a, a Formula One car. But I can remember when you know things like ABS braking were considered incredibly new. They came from Formula One and then they arrived in every single car. As mm. you, know? you don't even have to know what it is. It's mm. just a, a system that controls the way you brake and make sure you don't slide so much. And, and, and all these extraordinarily expensive elitist things at the top filter down. And I'm not saying this is a, a way to stop being angry about the elitism of the world. But art is is special and it does affect now i would wonder if it's uh, music i mean it's certainly uh, hip-hop and and so on in flames in in a good sense the, the the consciousness and the spirit of of young people and that's the key because my day's over you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know we are over in that way we can say a few things but comedy comedy yes i mean uh, I, somebody said, and uh, this was about twenty years ago, that comedy had taken over as unacknowledged legislators of the world. I mean, I would rather read uh, Stuart Lee or Frankie Boyle now, well, on on in terms of politics and society, than than the most cultural commentators. To be honest, I mean, I think they they absolutely nail things in the way that Bill Hicks did earlier, um, and 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 that's that's new and and and. You know, if I genuinely believe that. I, I think if I want to hear something really absolutely on the money about Brexit or, you know, some other you know, big issue at the moment of Boris or whatever it might be, I'd far rather read Frankie Boyle on the subject. Wow. He seems to me to penetrate the truths about it. And... In the in his being funny, he's releasing, you know, a, tr- a whole series of truths. Because mm. you can't really laugh at something that isn't true. I mean, you can laugh at surreality, but even surreality is, has the word reality in it. You know, that's the point. If your
1: causes have chosen you, mm. what do you think are going to be the next causes that
0: you're going to dedicate yourself to? You mentioned Boris. Would it be politics? Would it
2: be something <laughs> else? Well...
0: Um, I always say to wind up climate change denialists, I say, well, this is something I, like you, I just don't give a fig about it. I don't care at all, because, like you, because in my case, it's because I don't have children. So I don't care about, because if I had children, obviously, they would be inheriting a world in which they would suffer in ways that I have never suffered and you've never suffered. You, of course, don't give a shit. Uh, I don't know why, but you don't. Uh, and I'm like you. And they go, no, come on. I am not saying no, truly, you obviously don't give a shit, because if you've got children, you would give a shit. And obviously, I do because I have godchildren and lots of them, and nephews, and now a great nephew. I'm happy to say. Um, and and uh, yeah, it's hard to dodge that particular uh, tsunami that is mm. heading our way, both literal mm. and metaphoric. Probably, um, uh, it is all, all other issues seem to, to, to pale next to it because what, how can you prepare for a world of greater social justice, greater ease of living, if if um, if if such a horror is coming?
1: Stephen Fry, many thanks for being my guest. Really, it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you. That was Stephen Fry ending this episode of The Art of Change on Nothing Concrete with me, Chris Gunnis. It brings to an end this four part series with Stephen Fry. You can subscribe to Nothing Concrete on ACAST, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. And if you can, leave us a review to help get the word out. Until next time, from me, Chris Gunnis, goodbye.
2: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.